Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. And we have a returning guest coming back from all the way down in Del Mar, because I'm in Encinitas, not that far away, Dr. Steve Beerman. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Hey, Greg. Great to see you again. Well, it's good to have you back on Inside Personal Growth. Believe it or not, I looked it up. It was December of 2020 when you were on the show before, podcast 831, uh, Healing Beyond Pills and Potions. And for all of my listeners, in our blog entry, we're going to put a link to that as well. And I'd highly recommend getting a copy of that book. But today, today, we're going to be speaking about the end of worry. It's a little blurry because the camera's worry. But the subtitle is a clinically proven four-step protocol for ending the worry habit forever. Um, and, and I will tell everybody, look, this is a very thin little book. It's not expensive. Believe me, it's worth your investment. Go out and get a copy of this on Amazon. You get it there. You can go to Steve's website, which will put a link to that as well. So, Steve, you know, this world we live in today, um, I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of reasons they could tell you why they're worrying, right? And it can range across, and you are basically uh, a hypnotherapist as well and an MD. And I'm going to let the listeners know a little bit about you from your website. Um, he's received an undergraduate degree from UCLA, his doctorate from Northwestern uh, University School of Medicine. After completing his family practice at UCSD, he worked 20 years as a board-certified emergency physician at Scripps Memorial Encinitas, my hometown. Uh, he founded two medical device companies and holds over 200 utility patents on various medical devices. Um, as I said, he lives in Del Mar with his lovely wife and his dogs, and he has kids, and he's just a great guy. You need to go check out his website, healingbeyondpills.com, healingbeyondpills.com. So, Steve, I always ask authors when I, I try to at least, is like, what's the driving force behind writing the book? You know, that's the, the last thing you needed to do is write another book with everything you have going on in your life. And the topic is such... As I was saying earlier, it's it's a bit of a disease. Uh, worry is a disease in society. Um, what were you finding about the patients that were visiting you that said, hey, you know what, I need to make a little book so I can help people out here? Well, you've got it right. My patients basically drove me to write the book. Um, let me give you a little uh, history there. And I think set of context <laughs> yeah um, you know how you say greg uh well the worry it's like a plague or a disease in our society yes um but not in every society that's right. re really really important um there are cultures and i've been in in two where um the the very concept of worrying the way uh westerners traditionally uh, worry is 
unknown, unfamiliar. And when you describe it uh, to people in those cultures, they fall over laughing and say, well, why would someone do that? Um, it's So we're taught this. And uh, we're taught it by our parents or our church or our culture or, you know, the, the world we live in um, teaches us to essentially misuse our imaginations. You know, uh, the book begins, if you recall, with uh, ancient uh, Chinese adage, worry is a misuse. Of, of imagination. The- right. And I love that. Because it implies that there's a proper use for your imagination, but you ain't doing it. Right. <laughs> well, what are the two cultures? Because I'm the Tibetan cultures, many of them that said it's the happiest place on earth. Um, and obviously, worry wouldn't. What are those two cultures you visited that actually taught you that this wasn't part of their ingrained uh, behavior? Right. Well, I haven't been to Tibet, so I can't speak to that. But um, I've been uh, in Indonesia on multiple islands. And, you know, each island has, a, in and of itself, a somewhat different culture, depending depending on uh, their religion and, and history and, and so forth. So in uh, amongst the Bali Hindus, although they do uh, uh, worry, it's not a deeply ingrained thing. It's an occasional or episodic thing. And I'm not talking about those that have um, intense Western exposure. I'm talking about those who live, eat, and breathe the, the Bali Hindu way of uh, life. And when you're out with those uh, people in the more distant zones, um, talking to them, the way that we worry is a, a, a foreign uh, to them and incomprehensible. Also, you know, it, it reminds me, just not that long ago, Dan Butner was in here, the guy that's done you know, the studies on living to 100. Uh-huh. And he, he finds these remote areas. And I'm not saying there's a fallacy in this, but we don't particularly live in these remote areas. But he would go to Greece or he'd fly from place in Japan on an island where right. people were living. Their longevity was, you know, far beyond what it should have been in the culture that we live in, which is Western world that we're seeing because of junk food and all the kind of stuff that's going on. Do you think that that's similar for this same epidemic that we're seeing with worry? And I'm going to say epidemic because it really is in this society. Uh, it, it seems to be the Western world has built us that way. Well, I, I, I'm going to claim ignorance there. I, I don't know, broadly speaking, uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, this is the danger all doctors face. Uh, we work out of our tiny offices. We see an endless stream of people, and we begin uh, from that to form our worldview. And, of course, if if we formed our worldview from that and that alone, everyone would be sick, everyone would be needing, everyone would be honest, everyone, you know, it's yeah. a view so i i don't know um the extent of the epidemic what i what i do know is this i wrote this little book because as you suggested um after i devised this protocol and saw how how stunning really shocking the results uh frequently are i realized that there are certain patients even if i take them through at a time or two 
uh, and, and run the uh, four steps with them, there's still benefit to having it written down for them. And so I was constantly writing it down. And uh, I just decided, no, I'll put this in book form and <clears throat> hand the books out. You wrote it down for me several times. I was one of those people, you know. But, you know, you started this book off with two great stories. Lewis, oh, my gosh. I don't know who that guy was. but <laughs> And I don't know if you changed the name to protect the innocent. And Laura uh, would be willing to relay the stories to kind of set the stage. Because this guy, what I remember about jackhammering up the driveway and the water spot and i'm like holy mackerel this guy's really got an issue he's he's off the wall <laughs> uh greg these cases even though they seem you know wildly extreme and lewis whose name was of course changed um <laughs> is sort of at the outer extremity <laughs> worrying he was a master you know a journeyman worrier <laughs> the, <laughs> that these two stories uh, depict is really, really very common. And I'm getting emails from all over the world. The book's been out two and a half months, three months, and um, I'm getting emails from all over people having similar results. Let me tell you about Lewis first, okay? And I'll, yeah. I'll cut it kinder. So Lewis, as as you've noted, he's like a, a class A worry word. He could worry about anything uh, night and day. And so he didn't sleep well and he, he found no peace in life. And even, even when he retired from his uh, corporate job, which required him to worry and bonused him when he worried appropriately and prepared for, you know, downside scenarios. Right. Even after he retired from that, he could find things to worry about that no one else in the world could. And he presented to me in the office uh, with atrial fibrillation. He didn't say, hey, I'm worried, or I'm a worry ward, or I have you know, fear plaguing me. None of that. He came with a physical complaint, as people often do. And it was atrial fibrillation. They want to you know, scar the inside of my heart. Can, can what you do help me? That was his presentation. Now, he was, he was sent to me by his wife because... She had watched him do this every morning. Um, she's making coffee, he walks down a long driveway, picks up the newspaper. One morning he's coming back and he knows a little dime sized spot in the driveway. And he looks around, no rain, no sprinklers, can't figure it out, scratches his head, walks back. Next day he goes down, come, now it's a nickel. Next day down and back, now it's a quarter. The spot's getting bigger and bigger. And he's starting to realize, wow, something's really wrong. <clears throat> so he calls a plumber and the guy uses advanced equipment and says, yeah, you've got a leak underneath this slab. Uh, we're going to have to blast up this concrete, fix the pipe. And then you get, get some concrete guys in here. All of that got done. What his wife didn't know, well, side note on the story, was he set aside $7,500, which is what it cost him. He took that out of their account, set up a separate account in case it ever happened again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he went down and back. And every time he passed that spot, he'd stop, bend down, and touch the concrete, even on a bright, hot, sunny day. And 
walk back shaking his head. And at night, he'd lay awake worrying about, well, what if they didn't fix it right? And, and the thing is cracking. And, you know, sure enough, this and all the other worries he had compounded, and he developed atrial fibrillation. On some, somewhere around the 100th day, his wife sees him bending over, touching the dry concrete once again. And when he gets in, opens his paper and uh, reaches for, for his cup of coffee, she pushes the paper down and says, uh, you're sick. You need to see. <laughs> yeah. That was my introduction to him. And when I, as I talked to him, uh, this is this is the part for clinicians to listen to. What you need to know is that worry doesn't always present. In fact, it rarely presents as someone saying, coming into the office and saying, I worry all the time. Can you help me stop? In fact, I don't know if that's ever happened. People often say, oh, I have anxiety. And, and don't pretend you know what they mean by anxiety, because that word has a million meanings in our culture. Uh, or I, I'm really fearful. Or I can't sleep. Or I, So you have to go a layer or two deeper and say, what's going on? What's happening in your mind? What are you thinking? What are you imagining? And right. remembering that, and this is the key, Greg, Remembering that worry is a misuse of the imagination. What you're looking for is how is this person using his imagination? And so I said to Lewis, when I learned about all this worry stuff, always imagining downside scenarios, but never doing anything about it, just fretting and putting money aside for, you know, a rainy sidewalk. Um, contingency, contingency fund. Yeah, he never tapped, you know, it, it would have sat there forever. Um, what you listen for is you listen for this misuse of the imagination. And then you say, hey, um, how often do you do that? How often do you worry like that? Oh, all the time. What's all the time mean? Oh, night and day. Like at night, what do you worry about? Then they'll tell you at day, what do you? And once you get a sense that, okay, this is a person who's plagued with worry a misuse of the imagination, then you can feel, as I do, you can feel happy because this is a habit of thought. Right. And as Pavlov, way back in the 1920s, 100 years ago, as he taught us, you know, these habits can be extinguished. You just need to run extinction trials. And in one sense, it's only partial, but in one sense, that's what the worry protocol does. It extinguishes the bad habit. And then it makes way for a new and more self-rewarding habit, namely the proper use of your imagination. Well, I think, you know, look, it's uh, everyone who who speaks with, and I'm going to go to BJ Fogg on Tiny Habits, who was on the show not that long ago, uh, there's the atomic habit guy as well, right? They're trying to get people to uh, replace bad habits with good habits. Let's put it that way. Now, you've actually distilled this down into something way better than a 300-page book. You literally have this protocol written out in however many pages this is, plus practice worksheets. And you state that step one of this worry protocol is to rest your worry habit from the clutches of the unconscious and delivered up into the light of the conscious. 
You also mentioned that this is the most important step, and I underlined that in my show notes, um, that the identification, that being the identification of worry. How do we bring awareness to our unconscious mind to so that creating worry gets disabled and it's not so, as you call it, automatic, right? Because I think that's where you, this, this first step really is a crucial step. <laughs> oh, it's critical to the entire protocol. And, and I, I thank you for that because that, that's a perfect question. Um, the way you do it when you're alone by yourself without the aid of uh, a confidant of some kind or other is you have to exercise a certain degree of brutal honesty. Um, and so you catch yourself experiencing, it may be a worry, something that's going through your mind, you know, you're picturing the concrete wet again. But more commonly, you have this sort of uh, nebulous fear or anxiety. And you have to dig down within yourself and say, what's going on? What am I afraid of here? What's, what am I thinking? Am I, uh, am I worried about finances? What am I imagining about my finances? Am I worried about this relationship? What am I imagining? You can't just name a topic. And I go into this in the book, you know, oh, what are you worried about? Oh, I'm worried about my relationship. No, that, that's a topic. The topic is your relationship. The worry is what specifically you're imagining. You're imagining some downside scenario. I'm imagining that I just get more and more frustrated. I can't get out and I get sick and die. Okay, that's a worry. We're going to run that through the protocol. Okay? But you have to distill it down to you're using your imagination. It's, it's creating this scenario, a downside scenario. And the spin-offs, the derivatives, are anxiety and fear and distress and, and, and angst. A lot of professionals, they go right at, oh, I'm going to treat your angst. I'm going to treat your stress. I'm going to treat your this. And uh, I would maintain, not always, but commonly, they're treating derivative emotions, derivative reactions that stem from this sort of kernel, the misuse of the imagination. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing it, well, exercise brutal honesty and discover what it is you're actually imagining. What's the downside scenario in your head? There may be many. When you start the worry protocol, they tend to compound and you, you, you'll end up initially with like five worries. Well, that's great, but you've got to tease them apart and run each one individually through the protocol. Step well, one. You, you, you mentioned in the book that step two was identifying the fear. And then you put dot, 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 no, the real fear. Um, right. and, and that to me is, I think many, all of us have fears of some type or another. The question is, is in the subconscious mind, those, those are implanted, right? And you state the real fear gives rise to the worry, right? Yeah. So you're you're asking people to go deep to see what's actually causing it, correct? Um, so can yes. you give us an uh, example of a real fear we might carry in this unconscious that is like a real fear for us? Sure. Let me make a distinction from between 
a patient coming in and saying, hey, I feel fearful, I'm afraid this isn't going to work out or that bad thing is going to happen. These are the derivative fears that, that I'm referring to and anxieties and so forth. In the same book, the book, by the way, is by Philip Dunn. It's called The Art of Peace, where he quotes the Chinese saying, worry is a misuse of the imagination. The next sentence, in essence, says, and behind every worry is a fear. So I'll say this to a patient. Once we've identified the worry, step two, identify the fear, I'll say, what's the fear? And mm -hmm. the, first, the first thing that comes out is always or at least almost always a, a screen. It's a fear and you have to acknowledge it and accept it, but it's a screen. Your unconscious is present and it's protecting you as it, as it always does. And it right. doesn't confront the big fear that, that lies below. When I first started doing this, Greg, I was hesitant. I was a little, you know, diffident. Dare I say, no, the real fear. And what I learned to do was acknowledge what they've said. Yes, I understand that you're afraid. Let's take an example from the book, okay? Um, I understand that you're uh, afraid to go on a vacation because you might get sick. This is one, one of my patients. And then I would just look at them and say, what's the real fear? And I have never had a patient say, I don't know what you mean. Uh, there is no real fear. Or, I told it to you, right? No, because... It's underneath and they know it. And so you watch them sort of absorb into themselves and then they come out and this patient, for example, said, well, I guess the real fear is that I'll be all alone. Nobody will want to be with me because I, I keep getting sick on vacations and I'll just, I'll just be alone and helpless. Um, and there it is, you know, so there's a way of dealing with these deep fears that almost all humans have. We have them in different measure, depending on early childhood experience. But look, everyone, when they were a child, say a three-month-old, before they had the concept of object constancy, you know, uh, it was just a world of sensations, unassembled. Um, when, say, mother went away to answer the door or do something in the kitchen and she stayed away longer than anticipated and you couldn't hear her or smell her or see her there's a moment when you realize well holy cow i got nothing here if if that if that being doesn't return i'm dead which you are the good news is that now you're reconfronting that fear you have survival skills you have communication skills you have locomotion you have all the things you didn't have back then, so it's still a fear. Look at it. But if you look at it with wise eyes, with adult eyes, it's smaller. It's just like the chairs we sat in in elementary school. They're smaller than you remember them. Go back and sit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, they are smaller, definitely. Right, and then your closet. And once you run the worry protocol, you know, 15, 20 times, you the beauty of this and what i love is you'll see what all the common human fears are we all have them and anytime you want to open the closet and see your wardrobe of fears be my guest <laughs> yeah well you know this is a four step process and i did mention to you before we started i went 
and I looked at through the looking glass. But you said in step three, you say is a plan. Uh, and I and I think again, you say the first step's critical. Actually, all four steps are critical to get through to actually overcome the the worry. Um, and you you describe it as a detailed sequence of action to be taken in the event of a downside, if a downside scenario occurs. So like the guy who put the $7,500 away, right? It is. <laughs> Can you speak with the listeners about the questions you would prompt us with to help us create a detailed plan? Yeah, that's another great question, Greg. Thank you for that. So step three is plan the downside. Uh, notice I don't say think about or imagine or envision, I'm saying plan. And like you said, a plan is a detailed, uh, sequenced, actionable series of events that um, you could do uh, in the event the downside occurs. So the first question is, what is the downside? And that's very simple. The downside is the worry comes true. So if we were to take uh, Lewis with the driveway, okay, uh, Lewis, here's what happens. Uh, you go down there one day and there's a, you know, patch of water and you have to redo everything. I want you to tell me, how do you feel? Who do you share that with, if anyone? What do you say, hear, smell, see? What do you do? And he'll tell me, okay, what next and next? And with each of these, exploring the submodalities of sense, you know, who do you hear? Oh, I hear my wife saying, what do you, what do you smell? Oh, I smell the concrete uh, being laid. Uh, you know, you, you make a very detailed plan. And what generally happens is uh, two things. One, there's no fun in that. It's you're planning the downside. It's miserable. And for some people, it's especially miserable. Um, but we want that because that's a negative reinforcement ultimately on the worry. It's, it's, it's the electric grid. Why would you? I'm not going to let that worry up if this is what I got to go through every time it comes up. So it it works to negatively reinforce the worry. Yeah. But it also does. It, sorry. No, I was going to say it's kind of the if ne if then scenario. Uh, you know, when you're asking these questions, because I asked you what would you ask as the prompts to get us to go down that road to create that detailed plan right is kind of the if then i think one of the other ones too and i know it's not part of your protocol but i remember uh, one of the authors used to say is it true is it really true so ask yourself is it true is it really true because you're really most of the time telling yourself something that a lot of times isn't true <laughs> does that make sense well, it does. It's it's that that's slightly different from what we're doing. No, here, but it it's is a useful. It, but my point is, you have in the book, you have these questions because I went yeah. through all of this, and the questions are there. So for my listeners, definitely get that because he helps you create this this detailed plan. That's what we're talking about. Then you also have this video that you had where you you. You know, the readers watch this and they answer 50% of the questions yes while shaking their head no. And they answer the other 50% of the questions with no while shaking their head yes. And I actually did it. I sit there and went, 
or like this during your video. <laughs> What's the purpose of this step? It almost seemed like a little bit like gestalt therapy to me to a degree. Go, <laughs> You said, hey, have one chair over here. But you said the purpose of the step as well is keep your tongue as still as stone. Now, I'd never heard that one before. So explain this while I nod my head yes, while you're answering a no, and while you're answering a no, I'm nodding yes, because it, it does catch you kind of off guard. Okay. Well, so what we're talking about here is what I call the intermission. You do step one, identify the worry. Step two, identify the fear. No, the real fear. And then step three is plan the downside, which most warriors don't do. So it's, it settles the issue. You have a downside plan. Now we need to create some space between that misuse of the imagination, the worrying, and what's to follow. We need to open up the, the possibility of a new way. And so the, that's the purpose of the intermission. There's three steps, and they, they're, they're sequenced. They, they don't uh, overlap. The first is you get out of the chair and get in another chair and look back at you as you were uh, planning the downside. Look at that person and tell me, how do you feel about that person? What do you see? What, and generally, when you do that, you create some dissociation, and the, the uh, patient or subject will say, yeah, it's really sad, man. I don't want to be that guy. That's a miserable way to live. I feel really bad for him. So you get a little distance, okay? Then we go through the looking glass. And uh, as you said, your readers can go through that with me on, on YouTube, just Steve Bierman uh, through the looking glass. And what that does is as you're doing this, uh, yes, no, exercise, it is deep, two things are happening. It's depotentiating all that went before. It's sort of wiping the slate clean. And then it creates this enormous sort of internal confusion, which I call a fertile void, right? You create this fertile void where all the worry stuff is, is depotentiated. And now we have this open field laying fertile and ready and what will we plant there the next thing that you do is you anchor that fertile void that you achieved going through the looking glass which you only have to do once if you do it right you anchor that by immediately after after having done it take two deep breaths and then drop your tongue as into into its place in your mouth as still as stone not a flicker not a flicker not a twitch. And that will take you, don't think you can do it in 10 seconds. That's going to take you minutes initially. Later, you can, you can knock it off in a matter of seconds. That's your anchor that returns you to this fertile void whenever you need to. Okay? Mm -hmm. And you will use subsequently so you don't have to go through the whole intermission because uh, that takes uh, only seconds. Now, you're ready. Okay? Um, mm -hmm. I back to their chair and I say okay now you're back in your chair drop your tongue still as stone remember that wipes away everything that went before okay and then I say try just try to worry the worry that you have keeping your tongue as still as stone try 
And of course, you know this from my other book, but try implies an obstruction and implies they're not going to be able to, or if they are, it's going to be enormously diminished, which it is. And that gives the worrier a sense that, wow, there actually is a state. There is a state in which I, I, I almost can't worry. Mm. And so hope born in that moment. And then we go to step four. Well, in step four, is plan and intend the upside. We already planned the downside. Now we're going to upside. That's the step four. And you mentioned that the upside plan should be a detailed sequence of events, <clears throat> including experiences uh, described in multi-sensory modalities. Right. Uh, taste, touch, feel, all of that. Oh, this is reaffirming the positive outcome of our worry. How does the feeling of describing how we want to experience the positive remove the worry in our lives? Well, first, let's define what we mean by uh, plan the upside. What is the upside? What is the positive? Um, the upside is the worry does not, the thing you're worried about, the negative imagining does not occur. And instead, something positive occurs. You mm -hmm. don't on the trip you have a wonderful trip and everyone loves your company you don't find another spot on the driveway the driveway stays dry and you decide that you're going to use the money and take your trip uh wife on the trip she's been asking for to italy for the last 30 years <laughs> yeah. right? which is actually what what happened atrial fib went away he got happy they went to italy uh, <laughs> that's great that was great um, so you define, first of all, the upside and there's, you know, you're using your imagination. So there's an infinitude of potential upsides. And each time you run the protocol, you may have the same, or you may have a different one. It's up to you. Then you plan it as we did before, like you said, detailed, actionable sequence of events, you plan it, but you, you it's, it's, it's like an itinerary where you're, you're actually saying, okay, first I'll do this, then I'll do that. I'll share with him. I'll hear that. She'll say this. I'll taste that. Well, you have all this planning done. And then once you've got this lovely plan of, a, of an upside, uh, because the worry did not occur, then you push your intention into it, meaning that you've laid out this upside, and now you look at it and say, well, damn, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that happen. And you, our whole lives, think about this, Greg. Um, this will be hard for you to remember, but I, I'll put the challenge to you. You were little. You were laying on your tummy. You didn't know very much about the world at all. And you decided to lift your head. And you worked on it for days. And eventually, you could lift your head. You intended it. And action followed. But that wasn't enough. Then you decided, hey, I'm going to roll over. Mm -hmm. And you you intended it and the action followed then you wanted to sit you intended it the action followed stand walk run jump all these things that part of our life is this series of intentions guiding actions we have that established pattern all of us within us and so when you make a detailed plan of the upside and then intend it actions will follow. 
Yeah, it, it's a logical process that you've created, the end of worry. It's definitely very logical. The other thing is in the back of the book, for Steve has given you plenty of places where you can just put this in a copier if you want and make you know copies of these worry protocols and then put them at your desk because he has the four steps. So what I'd like you to do in kind of closing is go through the steps again, tell the listeners how the protocol works using neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity pavlon conditioning, and neurolinguistic programming. And also, you, you have um, instructions provided for the yes, no, or we should say the intermission up at YouTube. We'll put a link to that for the, for the listeners so they can go there. And then what are the kind of two or three things you would say could really help people by getting the book, following the protocol, and you already gave us a couple of stories from the beginning from Lewis and Laura and all these people that were having issues. But on the back of the book, I just want to say to my listeners, there's people here with little testimonials that are saying this book changed their life. So definitely go out and get it. So what are those four protocols again? And why do they work so well? Yeah. Well, uh, first, let me say that reading the book won't eliminate your worry. Doing the book will eliminate worry. Perfect. The next thing for everyone to know, and I, ha I confess to you, Greg, this came to me uh, early on as a total shock because I, I should have thought of it, but I didn't. What It takes a lot of energy to worry night and day, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you're really, really spending energy. And it's a fair question to ask what happens when that energy frees up, when the habit of worry is, in fact, extinguished. What then happens? And for your listeners, I would say that is what you have to look forward to. The discovery of where your energy will go as this worry habit dissolves. The steps are simple, but... Um, they have to be applied as best you can each and every time you catch yourself worrying. And you'll spend maybe a total of, say, 10 hours in your life extinguishing the worry habit with these four steps. And what will return to you is hundreds or thousands of hours of freedom and control and creativity. But you have to do the steps. Step one, identify the worry. Remember, it's a misuse of your imagination. Step two, identify the underlying fear. No, not the first one that comes up, under that, the real fear. Then look at it and hang it up in the fear closet. Step three, plan the downside. The worry happens, that's the downside. Now plan it and don't, don't rush that. Make a real detailed plan that's actionable. Take a breath. If it's your first time through, do the whole intermission and go to YouTube, work with me on Through the Looking Glass. If it's your second, third, or fourth, or 40th, then all you need to do is take two deep breaths, drop your tongue, keep it still as stone, stone. Two more deep breaths, and then plan the upside. The worry doesn't occur, something good occurs. Decide what that is and make a detailed, actionable plan for that. And once you have done that, look at that plan. Behold what, what you can imagine and intend it. 
intended. And I tell you that for some people, Greg, this takes, you know, uh, a week or two. It's right. never one longer than nine to 10 weeks. And that was, believe it or not, that was Lewis. <laughs> Close to that since then, if you do this diligently, you say, okay, I'm going to invest some time now for benefits for the rest of my life. If you do this diligently, for most people, in, in less than six or seven weeks, you will be a different, better, happier, more controlled and creative person, guaranteed. Well, it is a simple and rapid process that people can use. And and I got to thinking, and this is a kind of off-the-wall question, but you know, a lot of people go to bed at night and they wake up in the middle of the night right. with with this. Do you have you ever counseled anybody on using this worry protocol as a result of like insomnia or they're they're just like they're so worried about things, everything, um, that 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 they need help. They basically have to go to a psychologist and try and figure out what's going on. Could this worry protocol kind of help prevent them from that? Absolutely. So uh, if, if do we have a couple minutes here? Yeah. So let me, I'll give you this real quickly. Uh, first, I would say that insomnia, it's a giant topic, of course, and uh, you have to rule out certain other things like sleep apnea, etc. So we should all be um, watchful for the sort of array of possibilities. But when someone wakes up and I, uh, I say, well, when you wake up, what happens? What are you doing? Oh, I'm worrying. Well, what does that mean? What are you, what are you worrying about? Oh, I'm, I'm worrying about finances. I'm going to tell you about a particular patient. This is a patient who had, for most of our listeners, really no financial worries per se. I mean, money in the bank, house paid for a, a, a business that she didn't love, but that was cranking out a, a handsome income. But nonetheless, she was taught to in her childhood. And so she worried night and day. Uh, constantly waking up in the night, worrying about finances. And um, so for her, as an example, let's get to the worry protocol and run that protocol every time you catch yourself worrying. Now, she she realized uh, the hopefulness in this little four-step procedure. Even though it's simple and it seems too good to be true, she, she saw the glimmer of hope and said, well, if all I'm going to need is, you know, a couple of weeks of doing this, I'm doing this. And so she went hard at it and really did a, a good, diligent uh, job. I, I, went, I walked her through it twice and then she was on her own. Um, let me tell you what happened. About seven, eight weeks later, she came into the office, all smiley, bright, looking, you know, m much different, much more uh, light. And she said, oh, I've got some great news. And I said, well, what, what's, what's the great news? And she said, well, you know, um, that worry protocol has changed me. And I talked to my husband, made a decision, and we're closing down our business. <laughs> it's worry <laughs> protocol on me. Uh, I thought, oh, my, I hope this works out. I said, so, well, okay, I got it. You're... Uh, you're shutting down your business. What are you going to do? She said, I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do my whole life. What's that? She said, I'm going to be 
a painter and make my living as a fine art painter. Wow. Which, you know, if you think about it, there's there's obvious risk there as there uh, for any artist any artistic pursuit there's always risk but she had done the worry protocol she was using her imagination properly and she went for it let me tell you this a this is not the only patient i've had that's become an artist in different ways musical uh writing creative acting uh singing uh i've had multiple multiple people paint, porcelain art. Um, she sold her first, are you sitting down, Greg? She sold her first painting, first painting, $20,000. Oh my goodness. Oh, she must've been really good. Spectacular. She's on a roll. And I think one day I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we didn't see her in New York Museum of Modern Art. She's phenomenal. That's a great story. You but know, it, it, it reminds me, Steve, of, uh, I don't know if I, sh I'm sure I shared this with you, but um, Richie Davidson, who works with Dalai Lama, and I think this comes to calming the mind. You know, everybody talks about mindfulness and meditation. We've done hundreds of interviews about that. But I remember going back to Wisconsin last year and going to the uh, Mindfulness Institute there. And I think for people listening, really, if you could take this worry protocol to just calm the mind, in other words, because what's happening is you're running this sequence in your head over and over and over and over again. And it you have to do something to stop it. And a lot of times just sitting and meditating doesn't do that. Although it will calm the mind, the monkey mind is going crazy. Like you wake up in the middle of the night, you got financial worries, whatever it is. This protocol, I know because Steve's used it on me, it works, right? He's used it on me numerous times. So I'm going to recommend that everybody go get The End of Worry. Uh, we'll put a link to it. Steve, it's always a pleasure having you on the podcast speaking about something that, you know, there isn't one soul on the earth out there out of the 8 billion people that are anywhere over, let's say, 18 years old that couldn't use this. I'm not certain that little kids have all that worry, but as we get older, we seem to make them up. Um, so thank you so much. Namaste to you. Thanks for being on the show. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure on this end too, Greg. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.